Sean Lynn in the pub for a dram with friends where we talk about faith, family, food, and fun. Pull up a chair and I'll pour you a drink. I hope you are enjoying this content. Please like and subscribe, share with a friend. Also, go to godsquad.ca where you can pray with us and for us and consider donating so that we can continue our mission, reaching men wherever they're at. Thank you as we begin our episode. We are extremely blessed to welcome Father Cristino into the pub today. Welcome, Father Cristino. Thank you, Sean. Good to be with you. We've done a few virtual events in the last year and a half, so it's it's nice to see him in person. <laughs> yes, it's nice to be seen. And that's why I thought I'd pull out the good stuff here, some Triconnell 15-year-old Irish whiskey. I know uh, you're an Irish guy, aren't you? <laughs> Can't you tell? Don't I look Irish? <laughs> Everybody's Irish on St. Paddy's Day, I know that. Look at that. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you. So a dram is only a, an eighth of an ounce. I, I can't, I never do get quite that little in a glass, but uh, I I try hard. <laughs> I keep practicing. So. Well, don't get too good at it. Okay. So welcome to the pub. And for, for our friends out there that... Uh, don't know the famous Father Cristino. Who is Father Cristino? And how do you pronounce your last name properly? <laughs> so, the proper pronunciation of my last name is Bouvet. Uh, growing up, everybody uh, said Bouvet. Uh, I also got called uh, Bouvier, uh, Bouvet, every pronunciation of both of my names, Cristiano, Christine. So I've never actually been called my name on the first try by almost anyone I've ever met. There you go. But uh, no, I was born and raised in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Okay. And uh, went all through school there. Graduated from Monsignor McCoy High School, uh, who was uh, a famous, uh, well-known and well-loved pastor in Medicine Hat for many years. I never knew him. He had passed away before my time, but uh, his uh, namesake... Our school was named after him. And uh, yeah, I graduated from there in 2004. And at the time, I was also beginning to discern the priesthood, and it was becoming a stronger and stronger inclination of mine. And so I just decided that why not uh, take the plunge and get it out of my system? You see, I thought I could go to the seminary for a year. Make everybody happy. Make everyone happy. So show the Lord I gave it a try. Mm -hmm. And then uh, carry on with my life. But uh, eight years later, in 2012, I was laying down on the floor there of St. Mary's Cathedral. I think I was there. And you were probably there. It seemed like everybody was there. <laughs> there was uh, a big crowd that night. That, that was a big crowd. And I, I remember it well. And that's where... As a as a faithful Catholic, it is exciting when 
you get young men coming and giving themselves to the Lord and being present uh, for that occasion because mm -hmm. it's, it's huge. Yeah, it was a powerful moment for me. Uh, when we entered, as we were coming up to the center aisle, obviously the church was full, yeah. but uh, I didn't realize how very many people were still waiting to try and get into the church that had been kept out until the procession had gone through. So once I got to the front, I never looked back anymore after that. I went through the whole ritual of ordination, almost like intending not to look back because I didn't want to see my mother crying because I thought <laughs> if I see my mother crying, I'm going to cry. Uh, but uh, at the moment after the ordination ritual is complete and the bishop gives each of us the embrace of peace, the kiss of peace, and we're vested in our priestly vestments for the first time, uh, he turns you around. And I happened to be standing beside him in the line of us. There was four of us. And he turned around and he said, look at your people. This is Bishop Henry. Yep. And that's when it overwhelmed me, when I, I realized how many people were there and how many more had tried to crowd in there afterwards to be part of that day with us. And it was a, a microcosm of the whole church. And it was yeah. a beautiful a beautiful gift. And now in my ministry, I'm working again from out of St. Mary's Cathedral. And so I never would have imagined, once you get ordained, you don't expect you'll ever go back to the cathedral again. Uh, but now I celebrate Mass every Sunday there, which is a tremendous honor. Uh, and even this year on Good Friday, as is customary before the commemoration of the Lord's Passion, uh, we begin by laying prostrate on the floor as an act of humility and oblation to the Lord at his crucifixion. And as I laid on the floor of the cathedral this year on Good Friday, I thought, wow, I never thought I would ever do this again. Uh, but here I am laying on the floor of the cathedral. And, well, and, and you're incurred. The reason you're at the cathedral is because you started a St. Francis Xavier chaplaincy program, right? Correct. Uh, and it was as an outreach to young adults, people that the church seems to bleed mm -hmm. uh, out of the church and giving them a home where they feel like they're welcome. Right. And and I want to thank you for that. I know my, my girls, they don't come to Mass anymore with Mom and Dad because they have to go to the chaplaincy Mass, <laughs> which is... I don't know too many parents that would complain about that. <laughs> right. Well, I know some might be a little bit choked because going to Mass as a family is important. Yeah. And I would never encourage people to not go to Mass as a family. But when the alternative is, I don't want to go to Mass at all. Uh, or, as I try and encourage parents, because you can imagine I've gotten some flack. Yeah. Uh, what are you guys doing? You're taking all our young adults away. And I like to, I like to think of it more like... Uh, no, 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 we're just bringing them in for some uh, maintenance and upkeep. Uh, and you'll get them back better than ever, you know, tuned up and ready to go. And that's the whole point of the chaplaincy is to really try and provide that net underneath the, the church where you're right. We see young adults leaving in droves. Uh, basically, you get confirmed. You're still a teenager. You still got to go to mass with mom and dad. But you turn 18, you go to university, you're gone. Uh, and if we don't get someone early on and then show them that they can be part of something 
that is contemporary, that is relevant, that they uh, don't feel outnumbered by everyone that's their grandparents' age and older. Uh, it, it's a sign to them that, no, the church is alive. Uh, and the whole idea is that they don't stay there forever, right? Mm -hmm. we, we just hope to really instill a, a deep sense of missionary discipleship in these young adults and then uh, send them back, project them back out into the wider diocese and breathe new life into their parishes, wherever they go, be of service to their pastors, be an inspiration to the young people who aren't uh, broken free yet from their parents and flown the nest that they can see, look, there's people that are taking their faith seriously and that are young and attractive and professional. And that's, that's the hope. So they're, they're not getting the evil eye for sitting in somebody's seat. In... Right. <laughs> that's good. Well, and, and they've heard the people here in the pub have heard me, uh, talk about it in the past where I, I work with youth at risk in the past and now I'm in the high schools and and I tell them that God loves them mm -hmm. and God has an amazing plan for them. And the church wants you. Now, what church do I send them to? Right. Where they, they will be welcomed and loved. And, and we need to do a better job as a church. So I thank you for your witness in this area. And you're also wear another hat where you're out grooming our, our future priests, right? right. Yeah. So you're a vocation director and have, what, four years now? Yes, I've, I've completed four years. I'm, I'm in the midst of my fifth year now. Uh, so I don't know for how much longer our poor bishop will uh, have to keep dragging me along here in this. I'm sure he's uh, got big plans for the future. And I'm, I'm very happy to be doing this work. Uh, and I think part of what makes me, I hope, a good and effective vocation director is that I do sincerely long to go back to the parish. Uh, the day the bishop tells me that I'm just going back to some parish, whether that's down in Bow Island or one big parish here in Calgary, it will be the happiest day of my priestly ministry because that's where it's at. That's where my heart is. Uh, and I hope that I can give witness to that, to the young men that I am accompanying and who I'm hoping to encourage within them a, a priestly vocation that they wouldn't want some fancy, uh, extra special looking assignment, but that they just want to serve God's people uh, in their parishes generously uh, and invest in their lives. And that's the joy of the priesthood. And so if for this period of time in my ministry, I can try and impart that and instill that in, in the young men that I'm meeting with, then, then praise God. I hope that it bears great fruit for the future. Well, and that's what we hope to to work with you we've talked in the past about helping support that because we're trying to reach men as well to fulfill their vocation whatever that vocation may be uh and listen to god's will and we're finding unique ways to do that as you know we've uh cooked for as many as 800 i think for you at one rock yes and, uh, <laughs> so and we're we just had a meeting and we're we're it looks like we're going to get into disc golf so we'll be picking on you and your missionaries to help come out we'll have intentional barbecue with a tournament and discs like terror of demons and mirror <laughs> of patience and support and difficulties so just 
because 80% of the the people on the on the disc golf course are young men. Yeah. Which yeah. is our target audience. <laughs> exactly. No, it's true. And uh, and I have to say that those sorts of things that you're describing are exactly the kind of thing that show people what the life of the church can be, that that there are people looking not for some bureaucrat who's going to come in and balance the books and not for someone uh, who's just sort of like, okay, I'm here to say Mass and then leave me alone. They, that there's people who want to be uh, involved in and invested in the lives of the people that they serve and that uh, priests are happy to be that and, and happy to give of themselves. And if that means being out on the disc golf uh, course and, and enjoying time with people like that, then that, that's a sign of... of uh, a priestly heart, right? That you're willing to go to where the people are to be with them and to serve them and and love them there. And so, that excites me to think, of, especially of our of our current seminarians, you know, really bringing more and enticing more to come in and take part in that sort of thing. Well, and, and trying the yeah, I'll try anything once, you know. Right, but, exactly. Uh, and 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 you know, we with our barbecue outreach that. That attracted uh, lots of attention, and and so some of the stuff we talk about is faith food, fun. So I know you you, you make your own sausage, and I haven't been invited to learn your trade secrets <laughs> yet. Uh, but I'm hoping if I if I pour enough of this in the future, that maybe I can uh, get some of your trade secrets. Oh, you, it doesn't it doesn't up. take much of this to get me interested <laughs> in in making up a batch of sausage, but. Is that your, is that your, what is your specialty? What would you say Father Christino's specialty is that, uh... Actually, my specialty would probably be making homemade tomato sauce. Oh, really? My mother is Italian and she uh, taught me to cook from an early age. I enjoyed being in the kitchen uh, and her parents loved to garden. And so actually the, my, my pride and joy is growing my own tomatoes in my own garden or greenhouse and canning those uh, in the, the fall and then making tomato sauce uh, from scratch with those. Uh, and I, I like my sauce. I think I make a pretty mean tomato sauce. So that's, that would have to be my specialty. So I, I, see, I see me making some fresh pasta to go with some homemade tomato sauce being a real... Uh, Real possibility of absolutely dram. Absolutely. So, uh, as you know, many of the young men out there are struggling with even what a man is. Mm -hmm. What advice do you give your eighteen-year-old self? I have become very cognizant of the fact that although I am still looked upon as being the young priest and very relatable to the young people. That's older people looking at me and thinking, oh, he must be very relatable to the young people. But what has shocked me is actually how, how separated my generation is from theirs. I'm probably at the tail end of the generation that passed through their whole childhood and adolescence without prevalence of the internet. Mm. Uh, my family had internet installed when I was 16, maybe, or 17 at home. Dial up an old 56K modem, 
every time my mom went to make a phone call, it got disconnected. I mean, I, I was not attached to the internet. I never got a smartphone until nine years ago when I was ordained a priest. I, I grew up without any of that stuff. And now I see a generation who can't imagine existing without their high-speed internet and smartphone. Uh, and that has had a, a huge impact on every facet of their life. Uh, with young men, I think automatically we jump to, oh yes, of course, the prevalence of online pornography, uh, which, yes, is, is an actually tragic and fatal epidemic, pandemic, if I dare use that word in these times, that is ravaging an entire generation of young people, and including young women. Uh, but even before that, that, that black hole of pornography that, that young people find themselves being sucked into is only just inside of a bigger black hole, which is the connectivity to your personal device itself. Uh, I grew up riding my bike all around Medicine Hat and running in and out of friends' houses and meeting up down in the coolies and your life was interacting with friends. Not popping on a headset and having voiceover conversations with each other through the Xbox. We've digitized our friendships. We have depersonalized our relationships. Uh, and that has had, I think, a catastrophic impact on people's capacity to live to the fullness of their human potential because God has made us for relationship. He has made us in his image and likeness, and he is a communion of persons. Uh, and so we need to live in communion with one another. That's when we reach the fullness of our human potential. So a huge part of what I hope to instill through the work that I do with young people, and young men in particular, is to try and shake them out of that spirit of individuality that I sort of do my own thing over here and you can participate in it electronically if you want. But to really facilitate people coming together in person, uh, sharing uh, joys and sorrows together, uh, and actually sharing authentic life uh, and not merely virtual, right? But we are a virtual society now. Well, and you, as you were talking there, I couldn't help but think about the last year and a half and what that's done to relationships at all ages yes. and but especially our young people and I'm seeing it in the high schools now where things are coming out sideways because they're learning how to live together again because it's it's and the mental health, I talked to my friend who works for Canadian Mental Health, and he's, he's saying it, it could take up to five years for us to see the long-term effects of the isolation that people have. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's where I'm glad that you are providing avenues, and that's for young people to come and see in relationships. Like we talked about the chaplaincy mass, quite often my daughter's, it's a six-hour <laughs> endeavor. It's a long math, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, because they do get together. Out. Yeah. Like we, we went, Michelle and I went 
uh, this last weekend and and you come out and everybody's standing in the parking lot visiting and it, it's wonderful it's so wonderful to see and i pray that our churches can get back to that level of trust jesus i trust in you if if people would just focus on that right and I've got my T-shirt because my kids bought it for me, <laughs> the the benevolent philosopher king, because that's what I tell them. It's this is not a democracy in this house. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> and but I've been joking about getting one made up. If you want to talk about COVID, I want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's uh, a great. That's a great line. And uh, so just just start changing the subject because yeah. it's too easy to go and lose the focus sorry we're in the pub and the phone's going on. <laughs> uh, lose the focus on what's important or, or the the truth and beauty of the church yeah. and what god has created and and we we i that's what i try to point to so that we don't get lost in this miry of the world that's going on around us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the other segments, you've met uh, our good buddy Jeff Cavins in mm -hmm. the past, and he, in the Activated Disciple, he talks about riding with your posse. Who are your go-to saints? Who are the guys or girls that uh, walk with you as you journey along? Mm -hmm. Well... Uh, for me, growing up, as I already alluded to, in uh, such a robust Italian setting, if you can't tell with all of my <laughs> hand motions, my parents, uh, more so actually my grandparents, my nonna and nonno, really instilled in us a devotion to Padre Pio. Oh, okay. St. Pio of Pietrocina. And I just grew up thinking he was this like wonder worker. And really he was, yeah. but I had a very highly exalted vision of Padre Pio. Uh, and so I did, I really grew up with him as sort of like my, my friend in heaven. Um, my grandfather had a strong devotion to St. Anthony of Padua. Uh, my first little holy card that I remember getting, one of those ones that say, oh, this, this piece of cloth has been touched to the tongue of uh, St. Anthony. Um, that to me that just it just made me feel connected to something so powerful you know and he gave me that little card and it was all worn out and in italian and and i treasured that little card like it was it meant the world to me uh because it made me feel like the saints were real they weren't just fairy tales i think it's easy to listen to the lives of the saints especially the the ancient saints and we just sort of shrug our shoulders and say oh yeah they're a dime a dozen you know virgin and martyr her father tried to have her killed because she didn't want to get yeah. married off to some pagan and but i mean every saint has lived a heroic life of sacrifice and joy-filled love for christ uh, and they were real people in real circumstances and so i have always felt a very strong connection to the whole communion of saints but you know as i say uh, saint pio Saint Anthony of Padua was my confirmation saint. Okay. Uh, later in my seminary years, I became very devoted to Saint Jose Maria Escriva, uh, who was a, a Spanish priest and had lots of little sayings. That little pithy sayings were written into a couple of volumes, and I, I found such wisdom in in his sayings and in his sermons. And uh, I really wanted to try and model my life after after his example. But I think 
at this moment in my life, in the work that I'm doing, uh, I th- I've probably never felt closer to a saint than I do to St. John Paul II, uh, who really was the inspiration of my vocation. Uh, he truly, if it had not been for World Youth Day in Toronto in 2002, when he kind of looked us square in the eye and said, perhaps you think that you may be called to the priesthood of religious life. To you I say, do not be afraid to follow Christ on the royal road of the cross. Do not be afraid to follow the call of God in your heart. When I heard those words, they just washed over me with such peace that, okay, maybe this is what I'm called to do. Uh, And so I, in, in many ways, feel like I owe my vocation to him and now when I study his life, he, he worked early on as a university chaplain and as a priest who worked with young people and accompanied young couples in the early years of their marriage. And I, I just feel like I'm so privileged to be kind of walking in his early footsteps too. Uh, so I, I turn to his intercession a lot. And... I can't think of a better, better guy. Everybody refers to him as St. John Paul the Great. Right, right. And, yes. Uh, and uh, he, we were at World Youth Day in 2002 with, with my oldest daughters uh, as participants. Mm. And uh, that was fantastic. I'll never forget the, the, the final mass and the rain the coming sideways. And people looked like they were leaving. And then the helicopter comes in and the, the skies open and... <laughs> The Pope steps out in the sun. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you for stopping by the pub. I really appreciate all you do for uh, the people in our diocese and beyond. I hope that and pray that uh, we can fit it into your schedule to come down to for the Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance Summit. Because uh, I, I see the formation that you're doing with young men as essential uh work to to help build our community mm. and their strengthen the man strengthen the family is theirs yeah strengthen the family strengthen the church strengthen the church you fix the world so that, uh, absolutely so the word whiskey comes from a gaelic term called ishkabaha which means water of life and i mm. pray that you continue to Bring many souls to the true water of life, and thank you again. Thank you. Cheers. And cheers to you all. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Dram with Friends. Like and subscribe. Go to all podcast platforms to look for it on podcast, or go to godsquad.ca to support our mission.